reflect on and remember and honor the crucifixion of our Savior. Good Friday is a little bit of a different service than we do on Wednesdays or Sundays the rest of the year. Um, I hardly ever teach. Um, if you're familiar with Calvary, you know that really we're about prayer and teaching of God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and worship and as little else as we can manage in our, in our services. Um, we don't want to add to the simplicity of the things that God has given us. Um, but on, on Good Friday, I tend to step back even from teaching and just let the, the truth, the simple reality of God's word speak for itself, um, speak to our hearts and bring us to a, a place of contemplation, reflection, meditation. And... Um, Often, not always, but often, we do that by looking at Christ's seven statements on the cross. Um, whether Jesus was crucified on Thursday or on Friday is a matter of argument. We can ask him when we see him. But he was crucified. And the statements that he made as he hung on the cross are profound. They're simple, but they're so deep. And, and, and so rich with meaning and implication for us. So we're going to consider those tonight, but we're going to do it even in a more different way than we normally do. We have uh, 13 young people from 10th Hour Project here. Well, 10 young people, or 12 young people and one young like me. <laughs> Who... Uh, who are going to be um, talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus' seven statements on the cross, talking about what tonight means and what its implications are for us. You know, if you know Calvary, you know that wind, build, and send is our mission. You know that equipping the next generation is very much our DNA. And so tonight we're going to hand over the talking part of the service to them and have them share uh, their interaction, their experience with Jesus' seven statements and expand on them for us. Becky will be leading worship, uh, giving us an opportunity to meditate on each of those statements um, and in, in between, uh, just to allow them to, to sink deep, to give us some time to really contemplate what is, what is going on here? What happened 2,000 years ago? What do I do with it today? Uh, the last thing that I would say before I get out of the way and uh, let 10th Hour take over this evening is we are going to celebrate communion. We are going to do it as open table tonight. Communion elements are against that wall. And at any point this evening, during any of the worship songs, as the Lord leads, feel free to go up and partake on your own. Uh, whoever goes up first, you can remove the lid uh, from, from the, the juice. Uh, they're, they're still covered there. We'll be here for a little while. Don't, don't feel a need to rush. Please don't jump up just because somebody else is doing it. But when the time is right for, for you to engage in deep fellowship with the Lord, through the remembrance that he gave us, the bread and the cup, uh, feel free to do that on your own during any of the worship songs. 
I'm going to get out of the way now. And Evan from 10th Hour is going to begin our time together, sharing a little bit about the ministry and opening us in prayer. Thank you, Pastor Patrick. And like he said, this isn't a normal service, right? We're coming together as a congregation to recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for each and every one of us. And I think it's important also to recognize that while we are coming together for this night, this one night, I think as followers of Christ, we should make it a daily practice, a moment by moment practice to truly bring to remembrance the sacrifice that, that Jesus has made for each and every one of us. Because as we're coming together for this one night, it's not just a night, it's every day that we have to be thankful for his sacrifice. And we can have hearts of thankfulness continually and just praising him, hearts of praise for his sacrifice that lasts for eternity that we all get to be um, partakers of. So we are so blessed to be here. And I, I really want to just encourage all of us tonight to, to have that heart of thankfulness as we go into, into detail on his sacrifice. Because Good Friday, um, it's easy to, to hear that word Good Friday, that term, and, and say, well, really was it good that, that Jesus took all this punishment? Well, it wasn't necessarily good what the Romans and the Jews did to Jesus, but the result of Jesus' sacrifice is infinitely good and perfectly good, more good than we can even imagine. And we're going to go into detail about that tonight. And by we, I mean the 10th Hour Project. And to tell you a little bit about this, this project, it's a discipleship program for young adults ages 18 to 26. And um, really, it's, it's a time to come together and to know Jesus and to make him known. And we do that over the course of this eight-month project. And we're actually based out of Las Cruces, New Mexico. And it's a three-phase program. Um, and the first phase is at our headquarters in New Mexico, where we spend three months learning about theology, apologetics, evangelism, missions. And we spend this time just getting in the Word and, and building this knowledge of Christ and, and, and knowing Him more and really understanding and evangelizing all the while. And every week we go out to the Saturday market and share about Jesus. And we see people come to Christ weekly, daily. We saw somebody come to Christ today. Praise the Lord. And, and that's, that's really a regular part of, of this program is, is not only to, to learn all these things, but to put them into practice. So we spend three months in Las Cruces, and then we pack up everything we have into vans. We have two white vans out there right now. We pack up everything that we have, all our Bibles, all our clothes, hop in these vans, and just travel the country. And that's the phase that we're in right now. We start in New Mexico. We're going all the way through the Midwest. We're going all the way through the East Coast, and we're just sharing Jesus all along the way. Whether we're at a restaurant, whether at a gas station, somebody's going to hear about Jesus. Amen? And all, all the while, we're stopping at churches along the way. This is, this is one of these churches. We're super blessed to be here. We're sharing a Good Friday service. What a blessing. We also share an evangelism course to encourage the body to go out and share. Because Jesus has saved us. He has saved all those who believe. And he, we know the love that he has shared with us. So why not share that with others, right? It's a command. Go make disciples of all the nations. That applies to each and every one of us. So we have a huge focus on evangelism, which I feel is very needed. In, in today's age. Amen. And we, we're on the road for six weeks. And then the third phase of the program is spent out of the country. So we have a team going to Uganda um, in a few months and then another team going to Peru. And we have mission centers over there. We have schools over there. And we have a lot of people that need Jesus over there. So we're just going to serve in any way that the Lord has. And um, we're just very blessed to be here. And I pray that 
um, this would just be encouragement to all you guys and really just use this time to bring remembrance to Jesus' sacrifice to each and every one of you. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much um, for who you are. Thank you so much for your love, Lord, because we know that it was a, a heart of love that compelled you um, for this sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us, Lord. And I thank you for each and every beautiful person that you brought here tonight, Lord. It is no mistake, no accident. Each and every one of you was brought here for a purpose, and they're here because you wanted them here, Jesus. So I thank you for bringing them here, Lord. I pray that you just use this message in a mighty way and just give us all hearts of praise and thankfulness tonight, Lord, knowing who you truly are, Lord, that you died on the cross for each and every one of us, Lord, for this free gift of salvation. We just praise you for it, and I just praise you how you're going to use it tonight, and we just surrender this time to you and trust that you're going to use it in a mighty way, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we were talking um, about the resurrection, or the crucifixion, really. Um, but I'll have you turn to Isaiah 53, and um, we'll start in verse 4. But during this time, Jesus, before he's arrested, is with his disciples in the upper room, and he is, at this moment, he's already anxious and he's nervous. Not, I don't know if anxious is the right word, but he's nervous and like preparing himself for what is coming. He knows what's coming because he he's doing the Father's will. And um, even through all the stress, it says he still loves his disciples to the end. And um, you see him really surrendering his deity and his power to the Father when he's surrendering his, his will in the garden. He goes, Father, I commit, like, I surrender my will to you basically. And um, then, then the soldiers come, and they come to arrest him, and he surrenders to them. At one word, he knocks them over, but he still surrenders to them and goes willingly, even though he's been struck by our Lord, our God, and his sheep were scattered, the disciples left him. And um, so the, the soldiers bring him to the Jews, and the Jews falsely accuse him, and they beat him, and again, he surrenders his will, and he allows it to happen. And then the Jews bring him to Pilate, and he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate's like, do you not know that I have the authority to kill you and to scourge you? And he says, again, he surrenders his will because he's already, he knows that the Father has given Pilate authority. And so through that, he's showing his power, but it's surrendered. And... Um, he brought himself low, truly. And um, after the scourging, he's been shredded. Um, yeah. He's been beaten. There's not much left of him. It says, I can see every bone, he says, in Zechariah. And he starts dragging his cross, his beam, up the hill as they command him to. And again, they're telling him these things, but... It's only because he knows and he's choosing to do this for us. It was not forced upon him. He says to the Father, all things are possible to with you, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done. And so as he's bringing his cross up the hill and allowing them to put him on the cross, he has truly humbled himself and become sin, and he's taken on our punishment. And he drank the cup of the Lord's, the Lord's wrath to the dregs, it says. And so he took, he took it for us because he loves us. But we're going to read verse 4 in Isaiah 53. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears, he is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And so our Lord is put on the cross, bearing all our sin and shame willingly. Every stripe he took willingly so that we could have healing and peace and forgiveness of our sins. And he is alone in this, but he is still in control in this situation. It is not out of control, but it is in his in the Father's will, and he trusts the Father with that, just as we ought to. The very first statement Jesus made on the cross can be found in Luke 23, 34, and it reads as this. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, and they casted lots. In the immediate context here, we can see that the Roman soldiers are really acting out of ignorance. Um, they just, they don't see the weight of this crucifixion that they're watching happening. They're gambling for his clothes, which actually fulfills prophecy in Psalms 22:18, which says, they divided my garments, and for my clothes they casted lots. Um, and on top of that, the Jewish leaders are also acting out of ignorance and pride. For this Messiah that they've been waiting for is here, but they don't see it. Um, and Paul addresses this in Acts 3.17 when he says, Yet now, brethren, I know you did this out of ignorance, as did also your rulers. But the most important part about this verse is when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Um, in Matthew 5.44 it says, But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. In this moment, Jesus is living this statement that he says out word for word. He's praying for those who are in this moment nailing him to the cross. And it's not sins that he's dwelling on. He's in this very moment. He's forgiven them. In this is a supernatural forgiveness that he's praying to the Father for. Um, and we see this again in Acts 7, 59 through 60, where the stoning of Stephen, it says, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and was saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them for the sin. And when he had said this, he had fell asleep. We can receive the supernatural, for supernatural forgiveness when we walk in the spirit and we pray to the Father for it. Um, but however, the statement does not grant us forgiveness without repentance. Um, in Acts 3.19 it says, Repent therefore and be converted 
that your sins may be blotted so that time of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. He is a just God, and a payment is required. Um, and he took that wrath away from us and put it on his only son because he is a compassionate God. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed through him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. It's who he is. It's all he's capable of doing, really, is being good and true and gracious. And in this moment, you can see the suffering that Jesus goes through because he has to be a just God and pay the price for us. But in this is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of Jesus, we have been forgiven and that veil has been torn. We can come confidently and boldly before God and confess all those sins, even the sins we barely can forgive ourselves for, the sins that you don't think that are, that are too big for us to be forgiven, but they're not. Jesus took all of that upon himself and paid all, past, present, future sins. And you really have to sit in this and really ask yourselves, will you accept this free gift of forgiveness and will you give that forgiveness to others? Then one of the criminals who hung beside him blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And indeed, justly, for we receive due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We can see Jesus hanging here um, between two thieves, um, or that's what the common belief is, but whatever these men did, it was bad enough that the Romans seemed fit to kill him in the most horrific way possible. And we see they have enough strength to actually have a conversation. Um, one of them starts blaspheming, saying, like, save yourself if you're really who you say you are. But the other one defends him. And he cries out to Jesus in desperation. He understands whatever he did was bad enough to land him on the crucifix. And he understands what he did is wrong. And he rebukes the other one, saying, you know why you're here, and what you did was wrong, too. But something about Jesus was different to him. Looking at this man who was so bloody you wouldn't recognize him, back flayed, every breath probably his back scraping against the wood, getting splinters in his skin. But he saw something different in Jesus, hanging on this cross, and he, something about Jesus screams to him, this is a holy man, this man is without blame. And he cries out to him, save me. Yet Jesus finds the strength and the compassion and the kindness to look at him he goes, today you will be with me. Not tomorrow, not in a week, not after you've paid for what you've done. Today. The strength Jesus showed here and the compassion to pull himself up, to take a breath of air to respond in agonizing pain. The abandonment he felt, and he's still thinking of others. He's thinking of this thief on the cross, and he's thinking of you. He's thinking of me. He's thinking of all of us. As he's hanging here, in the most pain anybody's ever felt. <laughs> and he still has the compassion to answer this dude and comfort him, too, in this dude's lowest moment. In this dude's last moment, Jesus finds the time to comfort him 
and welcome him into the kingdom of God. And that begs the question, which thief will we be? Will, be? will we be the ones who blaspheme God, who look at him and be like, you're not who you say you are. If you did, you do this for me. Or are we going to be the other thief who recognizes what we did is wrong and recognizes that we deserve this, but Jesus is still paying for it? John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And so we see in this picture, there at the foot of the cross, is Jesus' mother, these three other women, and John, the disciple whom he loved. And, you know, looking up at the cross is Jesus' mother, and she sees her son, her dear sweet son. And this is probably one of the worst things any mother could go through, is looking up at a cross as her son is nailed to a tree, he is beaten, he's ripped apart, and he's bloodied, and he is suffering. And there was his mother. And, you know, this, this wasn't anything easy for her. You know, she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to see that. But, you know, she loved her son. And, you know, at this time, all the other disciples were in hiding. Jesus' own brothers weren't there because they didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. And on top of that, he's also separated from the Father, so he is completely alone. But there at his cross is his dear, sweet mother who was there because she believed in him and she loved him and she was right along there suffering with him. And then we see Jesus, who's on that tree, and he's looking down at his mother. And in this moment of suffering, of anguish, of pain, of loneliness, he was suffering spiritually, emotionally, and physically. On top of that, he was enduring the, to the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And from that tree, he looks down and he sees his mother and he makes sure that she is provided for. In that moment of suffering, in that moment of taking on the sins of the world, he is making sure that his mom is going to be protected. She's going to be provided for. She's going to be cared for. And, you know, that, that's what Jesus' heart was, though, throughout his entire ministry. It was love. It was putting others first. Even through his suffering, he constantly put others first. He constantly put his, his mother first. And... You know, it says um, 20, in verses 26, he, you know, he says, woman, behold your son. And then he says, disciple, behold your mother. And so then John, taking his mother, takes Mary into his home. And, you know, this, this shows what in uh, James 1, chapter 27, it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is pure religion. And, and John is demonstrating this. He's looking after Jesus' mother, who is now a widow. You know, I believe Joseph was dead at the time. And so, um, you know, it's important to note that when Jesus is on the cross and he says, woman, it wasn't a derogatory term. It was actually probably the most respectful thing he could say to his mom at the time, in this time of grief, in this time of hurting. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I look back at my own life, and, uh, you know, my, my father was you know, an alcoholic, he was unfaithful, he brought a lot of chaos into the home, and in that, you know, I was, I brought a lot of chaos, I brought a lot of sin, and, you know, even after my father's passing, even in my disobedience and my sin, my mother, 
enduring all this pain, still remained faithful. Number one to God and number one to me. She constantly put me first. She constantly made sure I was fed. She, she always put me first and God. And that was her heart. And, you know, I don't know what everyone's relationship looks like with their mom. But I do know one thing. The Bible doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're good to you. It doesn't say love others if they treat you right. It's important to remember that when Jesus was on the cross dying, he was dying for his mom's sins too. And um, so, you know, I, I ask you, like, look after your mother. See, make sure that she is provided for. Make sure that she is cared for. Whether or not, I don't know what your relationship looks like, but Jesus cared for his mother. And maybe there's a widow in your life. Maybe you don't have a mom, but maybe there's a widow in your life, and God's calling you to look after her and make sure she's provided for. That was Jesus' heart. That was how he lived his life, was putting others first, putting his mother first. And um, because he loved his mother, despite her sins, despite her shortcomings. He loved his mom, and she loved him. And in the middle of his pain, she was there for him, suffering with him. And that was her heart. We'll be in Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. Great psalm, highly recommend it. Um, it's a prophecy about Jesus and about this event right here. Um, and this statement shows us that the physical pain that Jesus went through was not the worst thing that he went through on the cross. Don't get me wrong, it was bad. He had his beard ripped out. He was beaten with whips that had rocks and pieces of glass in there. Most people died before they got to the point that he's at right now. He's gone through about 17 hours of torture up to this point. But he also, as Winter mentioned, took on the sin of the world. That's not a metaphor. He actually took on our sin. He actually, he who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we could have a relationship with the Father. And this is just, this is crazy to me because he is God. So why is he crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he is God. So not only was he torn apart physically, but he was torn apart. He was separated from God. Who looked at him and said, you are sin, I can't look at you. I see who you are, and you are sin right now. Jesus took that on. He took on all of our pain. He took on the pain that we have caused to other people and the pain that we have received from other people. He took that already. And this is such a big deal because God is a relational God. And when we reject him, we're hurting him. We're grieving him. And we see this from the beginning, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Man had rejected God, and that hurt him. And that's the enemy's goal, is to hurt God. That's the only reason he messes with us in the first place, is because he can use us to hurt God. 
And we see it in Psalm 78, verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. When Israel, God, had led them out of Egypt, he had provided for them miraculously food every single day, falling from the sky. That's kind of crazy. But he provided for them every day, and all they did was complain. And that hurt him. That grieved him. And like I said, God's relational. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The first part of the verse says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's a, there's a lot there. Definitely dig in if you get the chance. But he said, in our image, in our likeness. God was relational from the start. He had a relationship with himself being the Trinity. Three persons, one God. Don't stress yourself about it. The more you think about it, the less sense it makes. But continuing on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Let me read that one more time. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's Genesis 2.18. And that's where we see the creation of woman. So first, we're made in his image, and it's not good for us to be alone. So Jesus is entirely alone here. And if it hurts us to be alone, I don't know about you guys, but it hurts to be alone. It hurts to feel like you have no help. And honestly, sometimes it was my fault that I was alone. Sometimes I walked away from people that were trying to help me. And as we've seen through these messages, that's what Jesus, that's what they were doing to Jesus. As they were walking away from him when he was offering forgiveness. And this is how he offers it. It is through his loneliness that we never have to experience loneliness again. It is because he took on the burden of being alone that we have constant fellowship with the Father. We can go to him whenever we want. And if that went in one ear and out the other to you, you don't understand what fellowship with the creator of the universe means. That's a lot more crazy than we make it out to be here in church. And if you don't understand, I would recommend you try to have fellowship with God. Because that's why he died. What Jesus said is in John 19, 28 and 29. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now, now things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling, the scripture he's fulfilling, is found in Psalm 69, 21. It says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my th- they gave me vinegar for my thirst. Or they gave me vinegar to drink. So um, I want to read around a little bit what's talking about in that scripture because we can see that he's suffering. Psalms 22:15. he also fulfills. It says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death. So Jesus is suffering. Um, Psalms 22:14 and 17, so the context around the verse I just read, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. Psalm 69, 20 and 21. 
Reproach has broken me, broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Um, I think it's very um, easy to think about the deity of God, but we easily forget about the humanity. There was nothing that softened um, or did anything to diminish the absolute pain that he was in on the cross, right? I mean, as Blake mentioned, like 17 hours already of torture he'd gone through, and here he is. Every breath is a struggle. He has to put all his weight on his hands just to say any statement. And so him saying, I thirst, there's meaning behind it. And um, Hebrews 2.14 talks about this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and of blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So all this suffering Jesus went through, he wasn't deserving of. He did it because that's the punishment that we should have been taken. Um, in Hebrews 2.17, you know, in all things he had been made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make the propitiation for the sins of the people, for that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those being tempted. Um, Jesus was the only person who wasn't deserving of the suffering that he took for us. Isaiah 53.5 but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This was an entire act of love. Every second, Jesus could have stopped it, but he continued suffering because he loved us. And he was offered painkillers in other gospels. We can see that, but um, this is just such an act of love that we can see um, in him. And that through all of this, he was still sinless. And um, the sponge that he was given was on a hyssop branch, which brings to mind the Passover. So during the Passover, they were instructed to use a hyssop branch to sprinkle blood on the doorways, so that way their home would be passed over from death and punishment. And the drink that Jesus drinks from the sponge um, was a leaven drink, and the yeast or leavening is a biblical symbol of sin. So we can see in this that instead of blood, you know, purity and forgiveness being sprinkled upon those undeserving, sin was put upon the only pure and undeserving man. So that way um, we could be passed over from death. And this is just such joy found in this that, um, you know, he loves us and did this for us. The, our, we can have peace because he did this for us, you know. Again, Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are healed because this man loved us. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Um, with this final cry, the purpose for which Jesus came were fulfilled completely and entirely. All the prophecies concerning his death, like Isaiah 53, were fulfilled. But more importantly, he completed the ultimate purpose, which was to purchase our freedom by dying for our sins. Yes, for the time, Jesus was dead. At this moment, he was. We know that later on, he, um, he'll go to rise, rise from the dead. But at this moment, he's dead. And what seems to his disciples' um, defeat, his ministry seemed to cut, be cut short. His life seemingly taken from him. Um, what seemed to them to be defeat was for Jesus quite the opposite. It is finished is the cry of a victor and a conqueror. Spurgeon quotes, it was a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There is nothing of anguish about it. There is no wailing in it. 
It is the cry of one who has completed a tremendous labor. This labor being the ultimate, most complete, magnificent, extravagant labor of love ever performed by any man in the history of the world. It was all displayed by Jesus on that cross and displayed for eternity. From the beginning of time, Jesus knew that this is what he had to do and that he was going to do and what he was going to complete for us. He died to save you from your sin, but more than that, he died that you also might be sanctified. When, he, when they pierced his side, um, it says that both blood and water came out. Um, the blood is the price that he paid to purchase our freedom for forgiveness. It's something that he purchased for everyone, but it has to be accepted. It's not something that he's forced upon anyone, and it's not something he's forcing upon anyone in this room or anyone ever. It's something that is now made available to us, paid for by his blood. The blood is the complete, ultimate, it is finished. It is paid for by his blood. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It's done and it is complete. We are sanctified if we accept that free gift from him. But yet he still died for more than that even. He died for more than just our sanctification and more for our forgiveness. The water that came out, he also desires that we are daily sanctified. And what are we sanctified by? John 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the, what is the word of God? It's the living water. He talks about that with the woman at the well, washed by the water, which is the word of God. And in the beginning of John, it says that in the beginning it was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus desires that we are constantly sanctified by his word, which is himself. He didn't just die here and then go back up to heaven and said, I'm done with you. No, he wants to be constantly being um, with us and constantly us abiding in him, abiding in his word to continually sanctify us. And as we're made more more like conformed into the image of his son until we can be with him forever in paradise. This is what he came for. This is what he died for. For your forgiveness, for your sanctification, and to continually be able to abide with you. Um, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It says the wages of sin is death, but Jesus had no sin. So death could not hold him. And he rose again for us. In Luke 23, 46, it reads, And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathes his last breath. Now, why would the most perfect human being on the planet have to submit his life to the Lord after he just carried all of sin to the grave with him? Well, a common misconception here is that Jesus' life was taken by the hands of Romans, by the hands of sinners, which will never be the case. In John 10, 18, it says, no one takes it, no one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from the Father. No sinner is ever going to put down the only living God and on on not even of this world, but it's just not possible. The Lord gave up his life because there are sinners in this world that needed to be saved. The Lord gave up his life to show mercy to those, to get rid of the old covenant, to give something fresh, something new. That was the purpose of the crucifixion. That was the whole purpose of Jesus' life. And in the midst of this, he said this, or he said this to set an example. He was showing everybody, even at your lowest darkest moment in your life, this is how you become 
one with the Lord. This is how you ask for mercy. This is how you truly submit to the Lord. In Psalms 51, if we make this really personal, this is how you submit your soul to the Lord. Verse 3, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You admit that you're a sinner. Okay, that's, that's the first step. Let's jump to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You ask the Lord to cleanse you, which he did on the cross. That's the purpose of his blood. That's what his blood represents. That's why we do communion, to remember that moment. Jump down to verse 12. Restore me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me to the generous spirit. That's the good news right there. That's the gospel. That's, that's the Lord's mercy right there. That's how God showed his love to us when he sent down his son. It's just three simple steps. The gospel is very simple. People don't accept it out of pride, out of fear, temptation, lust, just straight up rebellion. It took me 18 years to accept it. But this is, this is the gospel when you make it really personal. And the best part about the good news is that it's contagious. People will see that it's different. People will see something about you that's not the same. People have done it with me. I've only been a Christian eight months now. Countless people have come up to me like, Mark, what's different about you? It's Jesus. It's this verse right here. And just to show you how contagious, in verse 13, right, after, right under verse 12, then I will teach your transgressor or transgressors, which are sinners, your ways, Christ's ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. In verse 47, it talks about the Roman soldier who recognizes Jesus' purity. And he said, surely this man was a righteous man. The same person who put Jesus on the cross recognized his purity recognize that he was different than all the other people he crucified. The two thieves on the cross were not Jesus. The Roman soldier recognized that. I'm not the person I was. Plenty of people have recognized that. We're not the people we were, and plenty of people have recognized that. Right? And it's crazy because there are people out here who believe false religions, who are in cults just for the simple fact that they refuse to accept Christ. I don't know what it is about Christ, or, yeah, I didn't know. It's called sin. But that, that's what it is. That's, that's, nobody wants Christ because they want to dwell in sin. They walk around with customized Bibles to fit their agenda of their life. And that's just the reality of it. We serve the only living God, the creator of the world. And that's just how it is. That's as simple as the gospel gets. And if it, you wanted to even get even simpler than that, Psalms 119.94, I am yours, save me even simpler than what I just read. Amen? Mm -mm, unacceptable. We serve the living God. Say it with all the heart you can muster. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Friday. But Sunday's coming. Go ahead and grab a seat. In a moment, I'm going to ask Evan to come up and close our service. I, I've been in a little bit of a funk lately, and I, and I didn't know how much I needed tonight, because the world's dark, 
and 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 it's getting darker and when you don't think that it can get weirder it gets weirder when you don't think it gets crazier it gets crazier and and man tonight i'm encouraged that man it's friday and it's a dark time in the history of our planet but i listen to these young people and maybe just maybe revival's coming evan come up and close us out We've been talking about his sacrifice all night, and I think it's important to touch on why he made the sacrifice, right? It was his love, his love for us, and his desire to have a relationship with us, each and every one of us. And he created us in his image, perfect. And we sinned, we disobeyed. And that sin brought imperfection onto ourselves and caused a separation with our Heavenly Father. And the wages of sin is death. To be separated from, from the God of life, sin separates us from that. So that, that is death. But God, <laughs> he sent his only son down to the earth to give his life for each and every one of us. And that's the thing. He did it all. He paid it all. But, but being here and, and hearing this message is not equate to salvation you can hear this and believe it in your head but you truly need to believe it in your heart romans um romans um 10 9 says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved that's what it takes it takes confessing that the lord jesus confessing that you are a sinner and that you need saving and believing in your heart that jesus is that savior and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that's how you have eternal life. You have eternal life with a relationship with him. It's not about going to church. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about praying. Those things are good, but those things don't equate to salvation. I think that's a, a lie that is easy for a lot of us to believe. But truly, salvation comes from having a genuine relationship with Jesus. He is the only source of salvation, the only source of truth, the only source of joy, purpose, satisfaction, love. That's why I did it all. So we're going to have people up here to pray for you guys. And, and maybe you're here tonight that you haven't, you haven't accepted this free gift of salvation. Because just being here doesn't mean accepting. You need to truly accept it. It's an individual decision, one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. So we're going to have people up here tonight. I pray that you guys would let go of your pride. <laughs> Everybody needs prayer. And, and whether you haven't been saved and you want that, that free gift of salvation, come up here and get it, <laughs> okay? Except eternity is on the line. We don't know when death is going to happen. Any one of us tonight could leave here, get hit by a drunk driver, boom, judgment. You want to be covered by the blood because he died for you. Accept that, please. And maybe you're a believer here tonight that, that wants to just fully surrender to Christ tonight. It's time to rededicate that life. Maybe, maybe you've fallen away and you just want to say, tonight, Jesus, I turn back to you. I encourage you guys to do that tonight. I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much for what you did tonight, Lord. I thank you so much for what you did on the cross. You died for each and every one of us, Lord, so that all we have to do is believe and accept your free gift, Lord, and we will have that salvation, Lord. So I pray that if there's people here tonight that haven't accepted that gift, Lord, that they would be bold, that you would give them the boldness, Lord, to come tonight and accept this gift of salvation, Lord. 
today is the day of salvation, Lord. I thank you that you always have your hands stretched out ready for us, Lord, and that you love each and every one of us, Lord, that you died not only for the whole world, Lord, but you died for me. You died for each and every one of us here, Lord. You died for the individual. So I just praise you for what you did tonight, Lord. Thank you for bringing remembrance to each and every one of us, your sacrifice, Lord, that you died on the cross, that you did it all, you paid it all. And we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works, nothing that we can do to earn it, Lord, because you did it all. So I just praise you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your sacrifice. May we truly believe it. May we have it on the forefront of our hearts, Lord, and just use that to have hearts of praise and hearts of sacrifice for all eternity. And I trust that you will do that in Jesus' name. Amen.